Biocarma, the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation. And uh, it was interesting, the first story in the uh, news was the very one that Marion and I um, were discussing. Um, I do find it a bit uh, predictable that the Prime Minister uses the quote, you know, these people peddle in human misery, but where's the response from the government to actually provide, you know, treatment and support services to people who, when they ask for help, are told, well, really, um, there's nowhere that's open or there's no beds available for X number of months. Um, you know, if you're really serious about uh, making a difference, invest in um, treatment, support, peer-based organisations, medically supervised injecting centres, um, harm reduction, naloxone. Um, you know, there's plenty of successfully... Um, proven programs to help people who have problematic issues with substances because most people don't. They take drugs for various reasons, um, for fun, to deal with trauma, self-medication, etc. Um, so, yeah, the government should step up and actually um, invest in some new services. be very helpful. Um, just before we go to the song that Marion wants to play, which is um, her favourite from the John Butler trio, Coffee, Methadone and Cigarettes, I'll just do a shout-out to 2XX. Um, our show's been on 2XX for about close to 20 years and uh, we really appreciate their support. Um, something like 80, more than 80 original shows are produced every week and broadcast on 2XX Community Radio. It's not called People Powered Radio for nothing. Um, if you like our show or any of the other shows, um, consider supporting by donating your time um, or some money if you can, becoming a supporter or just um, contacting the station and giving them some feedback about um, what you'd like and don't like and if there's any ideas you have for improving uh, the quality of the, the wonderful programs that are produced on 2XX. Anyway, we're going to go to a song. This is uh, John Butler Trio. Uh, the John Butler Trio and... Yeah. Uh, one of Marion's favourite um, songs, Coffee, Methadone, Cigarettes. It's very yeah. moving. It, well, it, just, it is very moving. It's actually about his dad, Geoffrey, and uh, talks about the fire around in, in Western Australia around their place. And his father was uh, a Vietnam vet as well. And, you know, the, it's just, when you think about it, it's really the life for so many people still waking up with coffee, methadone and cigarettes. You know, that's just where a lot of people are up to. That's what they've got left. So true. Yeah. Um, I thought we'd do this uh, piece that was on ABC News on Saturday, Saturday, June the 5th, because um, it involves uh, David, who's one of our karma um, workers and um, much liked and uh, trusted person. And it's entitled The Ban Offering Up Hope to Canberra's Homeless with Medical Services and Support. And it says a trip to the doctor is something that many just take for granted. But for those who are living rough or in public housing, just figuring it out how to get to a clinic can be a major barrier. In Canberra, a $250,000 mobile GP clinic took to the road in November last year, providing some of the territory's most vulnerable with access to free counselling and primary healthcare services. And now the medical lifeline is getting another permanent home in the city centre, which means people who need it will now be able to access uh, free healthcare services five days a week. And the next heading is how Pat the Van, which is what it's called, is bringing hope. And it's a picture of David um, with his karma volunteer. Yeah, actually, the tech. front page is a picture I can see Chris there too, standing at the front of the on the. Oh, you're yeah, right. I so didn't... you can see his hair. 
I can see Chris's hair very yeah, clearly. It yeah, it stands out, doesn't it? Yeah, it does so, stand out, yes. Yeah. Yes, it is quite an impressive ponytail when he's got a tie back. It is. <laughs> Despite only opening last year, the Pathways to Assistance and Treatment Van, oh, that's where the PAT comes from, affectionately known as PAT, sees about 25 patients a day. One such patient is public housing resident David Bryce, who before he started visiting the van hadn't considered seeing a doctor for a health check. Quote, I went and just had a health check up and found out a bit found out about a few issues, he said. I couldn't believe that they go there every week. Following Pat's success running clinics for public housing residents in Reed, Belconnen, Oaks Estate and Ainsley, a fifth permanent location every Friday at Veterans Park and Civic, was announced yesterday, so it would have been June the 4th. Pat is now providing primary health care five days a week across five sites to Canberrans who may otherwise be unable to access vital services, said Bronwyn Henry, who's the Chief Executive Officer at Directions Health Services. So that's that's a really important yeah. um, addition to health, it is. primary health care. And a very useful one too. I mean, it's just... Getting access to a GP in Canberra is impossible. You know, the people who are straighty one eighties with a, you know, who've got a house and a home, very few people actually have their own GP and often go just to the primary healthcare centres at like Ginandera. So the really big ones, they don't have their own GP because they don't get sick that often. But people who are on the street have often got illnesses that they just let don't go by because they ignore. have. And they're not welcome in a lot of surgeries. You know, they're kind of sneered at. They're really, the discrimination is... is uh, it's so out there, it's so obvious, and they're so rude to people because they're street-based, yeah. because they haven't got a home. Well, they get told we close the books. Yeah, or the books are closed, yeah. We, um, certainly to someone like you, they might as well say. Yeah. No, it's hard to find a GP, especially is. one at bulk bills. Yeah. Yep. A lifeline, it goes on, the article goes on, a lifeline for a vulnerable community. Mr Bryce, that's David, now regularly attends and volunteers at the service, cooking, baking and their egg rolls for people as they wait for their appointment. It's been really good for my mental health and my self-esteem, he said, adding that the van filled an important gap in medical access. A lot of people on the streets wouldn't have had have access to healthcare without it, he said. Local GP Ben Harness runs the clinic one day a week and said many of his clients have complex needs. He's quoted as saying a lot of clients tend to struggle and haven't always had good experience dealing, experiences dealing with traditional mainstream healthcare service. Many clients struggle with addiction issues and each van is assigned a GP, a nurse and a drug and alcohol counsellor. Nurse Ali Loom said a lot of clients were also disconnected from family and their community, further adding to their problems. She's quoted as saying, a lot of our clients have huge trauma background with childhood trauma or ongoing adult trauma, she said. Hopes for vaccine at the van is the next um, heading. Miss Loom said that the number one question being asked at the clinic is when and how to get the coronavirus vaccine. Uh, it's such a valid question because these are the people who won't be able to access the COVID vaccines via the normal channels, she said. There's a lot of fear in those communities about their vulnerabilities to COVID, so we hope we can offer the vaccines pretty soon. I think that's something, like you said before, when you were you know, explaining yep. the difficulties for people 
Well, I mean, the, the only reason I knew about it was because I had a yellow pages, and you only get a yellow pages if you've got a, a land Telstra landline, or That's you right. have, or you are linked up with Telstra, and you have a home. People don't get delivered telephone books if they haven't got a home to have it delivered to. Do they have the yellow pages online? They'd have to. They yeah, do have yellow have pages online, as far connected. as I understand. Yeah. But yeah. but um, having access to it is another thing, you know, altogether. Some people don't have credit for their phone at the time. Um, yeah. You've got to be a Telstra. You've got to have a Telstra. Um, a connected phone oh, or your yeah. own your mobile phone it has to be Telstra to have access to their, to their I service, think, to yeah. their service, to yeah. their information, info service. Remember when Yellow Pages, it was, a, I mean, it, it'd turn up on the door. Absolutely, it was four a separate, a sep- yeah. And nowadays, because people don't have landlines anymore and often they don't advertise unless they've got a Telstra, as I say, if they're connected to Telstra, yeah. their phones will, phone numbers will be in the book. But also, you used to be able to get um, little car-sized yellow pages that had maps in them as well of Canberra. And I don't think they make they distribute them anymore because I haven't seen one for years and I'm still holding on to mine from about four or five years ago, which means that the maps are out of date because <laughs> there are so many new yeah, suburbs, suburbs and yeah. streets. Yeah. Anyway, the article goes on. Um, the ACT Health Minister Rachel Stephen-Smith said she was considering a plan to make the AstraZeneca vaccine available for people who use the van. However, Ms Stephen-Smith did not commit to a time frame and said that it was not just the vaccination that needed to be considered. It's not just about putting a needle in someone's arm, particularly for people who are vulnerable, she said. It's about making sure that they know where they can go if they do experience some of those mild symptoms after they've been vaccinated. And there, I just, I do have to say that I did get a mild side effect from the vaccine oh, when okay. I had it. Yeah. Um, one of the women that I went with had no side effects at all, and another one had uh, a sore arm, a sore shoulder, and uh, and a headache. And I felt the following day, I felt like I'd been sleeping on a plank all night. So I had that stiffness that you feel. Um, when you've got a flu coming on, yeah. but it only lasted for a day. Many people don't have a side effect, any side effects to the uh, AstraZeneca at all. But it is a twelve-week wait between one, one shot and the second. Yeah, not three weeks, two to three weeks, as it is with the Pfizer vaccine. Um, and although they are making it available now for for the AstraZeneca, can be. Um, taken by people from 40 years to upwards, 49, yeah. you have to still get access to the clinics that are um, available. And this van sounds like a great idea. I, I, I can't see a reason why that couldn't expand um, vaccination. It's about the availability of the vaccine, Jeffrey. Oh, okay. it, that's and that's the you know the federal government the federal has been government, making big yeah. fellas themselves and you know gold stars about handing out vaccines and who's got it and it's actually as i said last week i think it has more to do with providing an avenue for you know large commercialization uh, commercial, yeah commercialization of the whole enterprise of giving out the vaccines even though it's free it's still a medicare chargeable event yeah I just don't think something like this, when you're dealing with the global pandemic, is something that lends itself to that 
kind of, Look, of approach. It just, I mean, three, we have been saying for weeks. Yeah. Everyone's been saying for weeks. There are three things that the government has to do: the vaccine, um, the uh, keeping people away from each other, so making sure that nobody comes into the country and spreads yep. the virus, and a quarantine, and aged people's home, and they're cocking up every one of them. Yeah, yeah they nothing to be proud of here, and no time frame, and we still. And I've been saying this for I don't know how long, Jeffrey. We still do not have a plan. The next time we, we don't have a plan for no. this pandemic, let alone the have we learnt anything from this pandemic to make a plan for the next one. We have no management plan. What is wrong with people that they don't understand that you can plan for these kinds yeah. of events? General planning and then specific to what a, whatever event or whatever virus comes up, but you can make a general plan. And I'm just gobsmacked at the absence of planning and information that's been made available to people. Yeah, I couldn't agree just more. Just ludicrous. And why can't we also use, you know, Australia has um, great uh, medical health researchers and uh, doctors and... Well, we've uh, got them for the moment, how long are we going to keep them? Are we underfunding places like the researchers that exist at the Australian National University um, are largely having to market mm. their research, the research that they're doing return. at the moment before yeah. they have any outcomes, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. And that's it's very hard to do. You've got to find somebody to fund you. I remember going to a conference in, God, 1989 in... Um, in England, I think it was. No, it wasn't. It, it was... Uh, it, no, it was in Europe somewhere. And there was a guy who'd been... For 30 years, he'd been funded by a uh, one of the major um, pharmaceutical organisations to investigate the effects of one drug. He was funded by the people that made that drug to in investigate it. To, and he'd done nothing else for 30 years. I just think the amount of money that must be in, you know, pharmaceuticals oh, for a guy to be funded to research that drug alone, and it was a, a drug used for regularly for treating people who go into withdrawals from alcohol, oh, okay. um, withdrawals, yeah, yeah, have withdrawal symptoms from withdraw coming off alcohol. Yeah. So basically, he had been working for thirty years on it. I was gobsmacked. Yeah. That someone had the money to just fork out to as a researcher and he was obviously living the life of luxury. And like you say, going forward, it's not like this is the the last pandemic that will ever happen. Absolutely. It's gonna happen again. Of course, why is there no plan? It's it's just silly. It's a good question. All right, might go to a song. Let's this, do that. This is a, a, a lovely song, one of Lou Reed's um, most uh, upbeat. It's perfect day, Lou yeah. Reed. Oh, I love that song, Marion. Lou yeah. Reed. It's Perfect beautiful, day. isn't it? It is. It's it's one of his most gentle. Um, yes, and and it, it it's almost a kind song, isn't it? And yeah. he's not renowned for that. He's more of a a, a cynical sort yeah, of yeah. A, hard a fairly yeah. hard edged yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. So I actually think he's one of the great observers of human beings. You know, like especially underclass and subcultures. Indeed. And, yeah. Know, no, I agree. You're homosexual right. Homosexual community, Jeff. drug using community, trans sexual community yeah um, you know no no i agree with you i agree with you he has a a, a gift for noting 
foibles, people's foibles and their eccentricities and, in fact, life's eccentricities, really. Yeah. And people on the street and how they interact or or not with society. Just, yeah, he's a he's a fascinating man. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, look, um, I thought this might be a good one, given we've talked a few times about um, the debate in Melbourne about a second medically supervised injecting centre. Yeah. Um, this is... A little old now, May 25th from the age by Chloe Booker, but it, it's important because it's saying after a furious debate, um, Melbourne City Council has voted to support an injecting room in the CBD. Yes, is, I, I think it's really important that we do this actually because this is the second one. Second one, for, for yeah. Melbourne, yeah. and that's very quickly follow follow the first one. Well, it's still Jeff, only one so, in Sydney, isn't it? Yep. So we're very uh, yeah. No, I'm pleased to hear it. It's great. So yeah, go on. Uh, Melbourne City Council has voted in favour of a supervised injecting room in the Central Business District after furious and contentious debate. A motion by Councillor Roshina Campbell, a senior Liberal Party figure, opposing the safe injecting room anywhere in the city was narrowly defeated, while a second vote on a council management report that recommended supporting a Victorian government service was successful. The rare split vote in the new council came after the age revealed that a new supervised injecting room was expected to be located opposite Flinders Street Station, near the popular Alfresco Dining Laneway to Grave Street. I know to Grave Street quite yeah, well, having yeah. grown up in Melbourne. However, neither motion mentioned an actual location. It would be the second safe injecting room in Melbourne joining the centre in Richmond. Lord Mayor Sally Cap renewed her support for the second safe injecting room Good in the honour. CBD. Yeah. Good honour. Yeah. She's quoted as saying, I acknowledge that it will be controversial, but the evidence shows that services such as these save lives. Boom, boom. Yep. Absolutely important. The evidence says it works. I yep. mean, that, that's the way you should make policy. Absolutely. So the evidence shows that services such as these save lives and they do reduce the number of people who are shooting up in our city streets. Reducing drug use and dependency will benefit our entire society. Councillor Cap said, however, that a CBD service needed to be operated in the same way as Sydney's safe injecting room in King's Cross, which is smaller and more discreet than the first facility in Melbourne in Richmond. Deputy Lord Mayor Nicholas Rees, who also supported a central business district service, revealed he had lost a brother to a drug-related illness. Isn't that where it comes from, though, Geoffrey? You've Most said that of many support, times. Every time we get this... It's always coming from somebody who's had that in their lives, yeah. yeah. And we, without the death of loved ones, we wouldn't be getting these kinds of services. Why do people have to die just so we get preventative services? You know, that's the evidence yeah. they're working on. It's personal and it's important. Well, yep. I, I recall Bob Hawke shedding tears. Same thing. Um, Absolutely. Talking same about reason. Rosalind. And Rosalind didn't die. No. Yeah? No, she just had a she just problematic... She went up and down the yeah. east coast of Australia and made a reputation for, for herself. Yeah. <laughs> She's a nice woman, Rosalind. Yeah, I actually knew her for a little bit. Yeah, time. yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, so uh, Deputy Lord Mayor uh, Nicholas Reese supports the service, um, revealed he lost a brother to a drug-related illness. He first quoted a statistic that 184 people had died of heroin overdose in Victoria last year. Wow. Quote, we sometimes hear they're not just statistics. They're someone's son, daughter, mother, father. In my case, it was a brother. I know the terrible personal toll that drug use can bring to people's lives and their family and the loved ones around them. Absolutely. 
The Melbourne Lord Mayor and her deputy are angry the City of Melbourne was not consulted over plans to set up a supervised injecting room next to the Queen Victoria market. Councillor Rees said that recovery of the CBD shouldn't leave behind people suffering addiction or drug use and that doing nothing to help them was unacceptable. Councillor Campbell's motion argued a safe injecting room would thwart the CBD's post-COVID recovery. At the meeting, she said such a centre would destroy the city's safety and amenity. It's nothing short of insanity, she said. It's on the doorstep of our iconic De Graves Street, a postcard location, and we want to attract visitors and tourists back to the city. Why they think that having a, a safe injecting room there is not going to attract or to, is going to detract visitors from the city, I would suggest, is crap. And you think tourists are going to go, oh, my God. I it... say, and look, what else? There's safe <laughs> injecting room there too. Oh, no. We're not going safe, to Melbourne. We're not going to Melbourne ever again. <laughs> That's just crazy yeah. talk, man. Liberal Councillor Philip Leloux, who second, seconded Councillor Campbell's motion, pointed to a police association submission that warned a CBD safe injecting room would lead to an increase in crime and divert officers from other operations. Well, all I can say is Philip Liu was not the police association renowned for opposing anything that even looks partially like crime prevention or, or keeping crime off the streets. And that's what it does, people. Keeps it off the streets and in a doorway, in, not in a, an office and a safe place safe for people place, to be. Yeah. Out of, from underneath people's noses. Much of the discussion for and against a CBD safe injecting room centred around the existing one in Richmond. Councillor Campbell's motion cites a 27% increase in discarded syringes in the inner north suburb in the, nine, in the 10 months following the opening of the service. 27% increase in... That's about safe disposal. That's not about... Um, it's about people having unsafe injecting practices. That means where are the safe disposal places? Well, that's yeah? true, yeah. Councillor Olivia Ball, who supported a CBD safe injecting room, said this could be due to expanded clean-up efforts and increased heroin use in the area, included before the service was open. Of course it could. An independent review panel last year found the Richmond site had safely managed... 3,200 overdoses by March last year. Councillor Ball said while the report found there was no improvement in the area's amenity, it also found no evidence that it had adversely affected its surroundings. Councillors Mary Doidge, David Griffiths, Jamal Hakim and Rowan Leppard also voted in support of a CBD safe injecting room. Councillor Kevin Louie, who last year supported one, supported one, said his views had changed due to the need to support businesses in the aftermath of the pandemic. Councillor Jason Chang also voted against the CBD service. The panel recommended that a second injecting room be established in the city of Melbourne where 51 people died of overdoses between January 2015 and September 2019 to take the pressure off the Richmond service. 
the council previously rejected an injecting room in the co-health community centre in Victoria Street near the Queen Victoria Market. Look, no matter where you suggest locating one, you're going to have... Someone is always going to say, no. Nah. Yeah. there's always going to be a, not, not in my backyard, a NIMBY result, yeah? I mean, the, the first one in King's Cross, it was a trial for 10 years. That's right. It's still a trial, isn't it? <laughs> no, I think it's... it's <laughs> That's finally said it's OK. I, I think both major parties are, are behind it. Um, we go to a quick song. Um, okay, Johnny let's do Cash, that. Sunday morning coming down. Oh yes, yes. Haven't heard that one in a while. Yeah. Cash, Sunday morning coming down. Mm, We've yeah. got a piece that sort of talks about Portugal, but um, yeah, Ref- relates it to the ACT. It's um, Portugal's drug reforms twenty years on by uh, Michelle Rimmer. Ad- ACT advocates for drug reform look to the architects of Portugal's decriminalisation model for advice. Australian campaigners for harm reduction say current drug policies aren't working. Don't we, but? And decriminalisation has worked in other countries like Portugal. The drug decriminalisation was first established in Portugal 20 years ago. This name. Well, Castel Branco Gulao was a doctor in Lisbon in the 1980s and 90s and was recruited by the government to find a solution. Dr. Gulao says, quote, We estimate that about 1% or 100,000 of our population was using heroin at the time. End quote. Portugal was seen as Europe's drug capital with a high HIV infection rate and drug deaths. He says the decision to decriminalise all drugs came from a place of desperation. Every family, he's quoted as saying, had someone with problems and people tended to think, my son's not a criminal. My son is a sick person in need of help. Since Portugal decriminalised drugs, the number of people using heroin has dropped to around 33,000 in 2015. It now has one of the lowest drug-related death rates in Western Europe and drug use among young people is below the European average. As a result of its success... Portugal's approach has been replicated in other European countries and parts of the United States. Under the model, instead of being charged and receiving a criminal records, police direct users to the Commission for the Dissuasion of Drug Addiction to meet with psychologists and social workers for help. And this is perhaps one of the major criticisms that some drug users have given is that it still... Is that you're still referred, it's still treated as an addict, and you're not just as a drug user. It may not be police, but it's still a dissuasion committee. Yeah, the idea of going to a dissuasion committee is a problem in itself. Dr Nuno Capaz started the commission in 2001 and has been in charge ever since. He says it's essential that people understand the difference between decriminalising and legalising drugs. He's quoted as saying, it's not the same thing as regulating or legalising. Decriminalisation means that we no longer treat it as a criminal offence, but it's still an illegal activity, so we deal with it as an administrative offence. In Portugal, possible consequences for drug use range from a fine to community service. It is now two decades since Portugal took the unprecedented step of decriminalising and not every problem is solved. Drug addiction and dependence still exists and the underground drug trade is thriving. And this is where our argument about prohibition being the systemic 
yes. problem <clears throat> comes in again. Anyway, it goes right. on to say Portuguese police continue to tackle with drug dealing and smuggling. Commissioner Nelson Silva claims that he and his team face an uphill battle against drug dealing as the country emerges from the COVID lockdown. He says it's very difficult to strangle a drug selling point or a drug selling network. You can arrest two or three people, but in the moment that we arrest um, those people, there's already another one waiting for his time to go up in the ranks. A spokesperson for the Department of Home Affairs said that there is no objective evidence that decriminalising illicit substances reduces harm to users or the community. So we just say no. <laughs> computer yeah. says no. The Australian government does not support the decriminalisation of illicit drugs for recreational purposes and is not considering changing Australian law in this regard. The department said drug policy reform in Australia is most effective when it is collaborative, holistic and aligned to a cohesive national approach. Well, where's that? What does that mean? I mean, I don't think they know what those words mean because ACT is offering to do to decriminalising. They're saying Australian government doesn't support it. Well, the federal government may not support it, but there are other governments that do support it. But I just think that they're talking through, you know, collaborative, holistic and aligned to a cohesive national approach. One minute they're talking about going with evidence-based stuff, the next they're ignoring it and saying only if we can have a collaborative, holistic and aligned to a cohesive national approach, You meaning if we agree with you. That's it, isn't it? You'll love the last quote. Decriminalisation by jurisdictions may allow opportunities for organised crime groups to exploit perceived gaps (laughs) in legislative frameworks. Well, they do. They don't need perceived gaps. They can make up their own apps and they can... Oh, look, it's crazy. The amount of money that's there for the, just for the picking, Jeff, and they're still saying, no, no, don't decriminalise it. That, that's not going to fix anything. Well, no, we'll just keep going don't try. Just keep going. Bash. Yeah. The only thing that happens when you stop bashing your head on a wall, Jeffrey, is it ceases to hurt. Yeah. yeah? Uh, I've got a, an animal song that seems quite apropos. Uh, Don't let me be misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> this is by Nextar Media Wire, May the 22nd. Do you drink in moderation? A University of Oxford study has some bad news. The new observational study, which has yet to be peer-reviewed, determined that the only safe level of alcohol is none when it comes to brain health. Researchers used brain scans of 25,000 UK residents to examine alcohol's effect on their grey matter. Quote, two more people drank, or the more people drank, sorry, the less the volume of their grey matter. End quote. Lead author Anya uh, Topiwala told CNN in an email. Topiwala said grey matter is responsible for processing information and regardless of intake, alcohol had a negative negative effect. Brain volume reduces with age and more severely with dementia, Topawala said. Smaller brain volume also predicts worse performance on memory testing. The Oxford researchers found that there was not an alcoholic drink that was safer than others and that factors such as high blood pressure, obesity and binge drinking put people at higher risk. No safe dose of alcohol for the brain was found, the study concluded. Moderate consumption is associated with more widespread adverse effects on the brain than previously recognised. That's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. Uh, 
While we can't yet say for sure whether there is no safe level of alcohol regarding brain health at the moment, it has been known for decades that heavy drinking is bad for brain health. Sadie Boniface of the UK's Institute of Alcohol Studies told CNN in an email, We also shouldn't forget alcohol affects all parts of the body and there are multiple health risks. According to the Centres for Disease Control and Prevention, excessive alcohol intake is responsible for 261 deaths a day in the US and more than 95,000 per year. Whoa. Well, look, I don't drink, Jeffrey. so as far... But, I mean, people do drink and they will drink and it's not... I don't know that it's going to stop them or start them drinking knowing this kind of information, but... It's interesting to know that we're quite happy to tax the hell out of alcohol and let people have their drinks, their celebratory drinks, their... Um, Commiseratory drinks. Wet the baby's and, head yeah, drink, yeah. their, you know, let's have a party drink um, and not let them have any other drugs whatsoever. Yeah. Get intoxicated with alcohol, but don't get intoxicated with anything else. That seems a, to be the go. Essentially the... Current yep. state of affairs, yeah. And doesn't matter what the information says, doesn't matter what the advice and the research says, just go with alcohol because it's legal. Yeah. And the other ones aren't, and we don't want to take too many risks with making things illegal. No. Making pr- things legal that aren't legal now. The status quo is working and... Um... <laughs> working <laughs> working like, a, like an old banger car. Sorry, not yeah. working. No, I think that's very important... Um, study from the University of Oxford. Well, it's obviously not funded by an alcohol, uh, you know, by any kind of alcohol provider. I doubt it. Alcohol maker, (laughs) I would suggest. (laughs) No, I think that's a a pretty safe assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting nonetheless. All right. Well, that brings us almost to the end end of of this week's show. Yeah. what else do we need just to remind people of? Um, oh, look, the, uh, the next um, the next naloxone workshop is on... June the 22nd? June the 22nd at uh, Ainsley Village. And the next one after that is the 29th... At the Early at Morning, morning, morning Centre yeah. in the afternoon. Yeah, but for inquiries, call Dave or Damo. 62533643. That's right. And the uh, double, oh, I'm double gain, one. double gain project. You can get in touch with um, Karma on six two five three three six four three, or in touch with uh, Hepatitis ACT on six two three zero six three double four for information about uh, getting paid to get rid of your hepatitis C. Yeah, and we very much encourage if you know somebody, a friend, yourself, um, an oh, acquaintance. Absolutely. Yeah, get it, get into it, get involved, get paid and get rid of your hepatitis C. I must say, though, I'm very pleased to hear that um, my number two son is not hepatitis C or hepatitis B positive. And oh, I had great. thought he would have been because I had a very severe case of hepatitis B Way before I was uh, pregnant with him, yeah, but it was nineteen seventy-seven, I think, or seventy-eight, 
No, 77 it was. And I was really sick. And But I thought because I'm hepatitis B positive that I would have passed it on, but I didn't. Excellent. So I was really pleased to hear that. I bet he was pleased too. Well, yes. Well, I didn't actually tell him about it until he told me <laughs> he, he'd just been going through all his blood tests. And I said, oh, by the way, oh, okay. are you having, just a casual you don't happen inquiry. to be hepatitis B positive, do you? <laughs> no, Mum, I'm not. Oh, good. Awesome. I said. <laughs> okay, we'll end on that very uh, positive note. And up note, yeah. And leave you with the theme song. Uh, the Stranglers and Golden Brown, and we'll be back next bye week. Bye-bye, everybody. You, Look after yourselves. Thanks, Jeffrey. Yeah, take care, everyone. Bye, done.